0: to pop tarts i'm emily rems and on this episode we're going to be talking about race when i say we i'm talking about brianna mention bust's digital editorial director hello brianna what up and i also mean pop tarts producer luscious logan del fuego hello logan how you doing brianna is black Logan is Black and Puerto Rican, and we want to amplify their voices and experiences about everything that's been going on in the country this week. So we want to ask them a few questions. Brianna, let's start with you. Uh, I'm I'm not okay. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not at all
1: okay. Um, but I am excited for being back for like a three-peat Uh This is like my third.
0: You're our most (laughs) frequent guest.
1: so I'm excited about that. Um, But other than that, no, I'm I'm not doing well at all.
2: May I ask why you're not feeling well?
1: I'm not well because I'm black. Uh, Everything sucks right now. Um, I haven't been, I don't know what sleep is. I like look at the time and it's like three o'clock in the morning and I'm up. And then I wake up for work. Somehow I'm on time. I'm not even. I'm not even eating. And sleeping and eating are like my best hobbies. Like I'm. I excel at eating and sleeping. And I'm not even (laughs) doing well at those right now. This shit is bleak. I'm just not. It's up down. So, yeah. I think, man. I was at work at uh, on Sunday. There were protests in um and i was working all weekend and at some point during sunday um one of the managers came back to uh to tell us that like you know if you guys are getting any flack from like customers if it gets a little rowdy like we're probably just going to close the store and i was like for for what like what's what's happening because i knew that the test was taking place and um, my white woman store manager had like called him in a panic and was like, "Things are getting violent, and you know, if anyone comes in the store, just just close it down. You'll all be paid and blah blah blah." And so now I'm just like, "What the hell happened?" Thinking that like they like have a, a they're holding a cop hostage, like they took over the the police precinct, like shit is real. And then I like I look and it's just like. What? They just shut down the highway. They shut down. The- it wasn't, there was nothing violence. And this is like midday. It's like two o'clock in the afternoon. There's nothing oh. violent. It Things didn't really get a little aggressive until the evening. And at this point they had on their riot gear. And it's something about being in riot gear that is antagonizing in itself. And it's just like, this is why, you know, you have to pay attention to the voices. And I don't know where my boss the store manager lives but i know it's not anywhere in the the urban settings and i just can't believe that she did all that and made it sound like mayday mayday and it's like compared to where the the protest was to where i work which is a a suburb of sorts it's like no one's coming from downtown your store is your pharmacy is fine so <laughs> It it was just a lot. So you just can't trust the word of people that are watching the news and only the news.
0: And now a question from our producer, Luscious Logan. Luscious Logan, do you have a question for Brianna?
2: Yes, I do have a question for Brianna. Um, So I've worked lots and lots of retail jobs in my life. Aldo shoes, um, the body shop, uh, random like you know, uh, DVD stores when they had DVDs. Oh,
1: my God. Love
2: those. Um, And, you know, those are trash jobs. Like, you feel really terrible when you're doing them. I remember working in a CVS and everybody treating me like I was somehow a servant and not fully a person.
1: Oh, yeah. Worked there, too.
2: And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, um, because I want to know number one, how racist does it feel that you have to work a crummy job because you need the money? And then on top of that now, like there are more and more Black people being shot for no good reason. You know, I don't, I know that we both understand the connection, but can you tell people about that connection?
1: Um. Yes, uh, firstly... I work for one of the major, uh, what do you call it, pharmacy convenient places uh, (laughs) in the country, and I unfortunately had I was a an essential worker during COVID. Even though I say you know it's still there's a lot going on right now, but COVID is still very real and out here, Um, and that was traumatizing of an experience in itself and I like I always knew that like minimum wage workers like you're just a cog in the machine they do not give a fuck about you in general but like having had a co-worker test positive for COVID and like the delay in which like that information was relayed to the staff um and how they all handled that I knew very much so then that like it did not matter about anyone's health they just needed bodies in the store and most of the upper managers are white and all the the lower like what is it shift leader managers and staff technicians are all black and other people of color um and and mostly black people kind of fill up the retail industry anyway and food service so it it just was really daunting in that aspect already dealing with COVID and like uh, white customers are terrorists like if they are slightly inconvenienced in any way they are just not having it they demand things and it's like that's not even reasonable like I can't yes. you yes. that doesn't make sense that's not in our policy and like the way that you're speaking to me is just not conducive to me wanting to help you So that's that part. And now this is all happening. And like, I don't want to have to go to work. And I know that I'm going in a mostly white neighborhood and having to look (laughs) white people in the face all day and them just be displeased or like not see that, like, I'm suffering. Like, I, I haven't slept. I haven't eaten. I'm distraught. I'm worried about not just myself, but like literally My whole family, everyone that I know that is black, I'm worried about all of us. And I know that we're collectively suffering. But now, you know, we didn't have the manufacturer for uh, the Tylenol that you like. And um, now you want a rain check. And, uh, well, do you know if another store has it? And it's like, no. And at this point, fuck you and your Tylenol. So I just, it is... It is very, very, very hard working these like already kind of servitude industry type of jobs and it's just like I'm I'm still a person. like no matter and if I, if there's any slight tinge of like displeasure with how they're speaking to you and I and I'm existing as a black woman in a black body and with a, a very black hair and just like everything that I present is purposely. Uh, black so that you don't kind of confuse me for anything else. Um, And it's just like waiting for me to react so that it can further the narrative that like these black people in these stores, they already have attitudes and look at how she's not helping me. And, and so like having to have that duality and that constant, (laughs) I'm trying to keep it together because I need this job and I need to pay bills. It's just, it's traumatic. It's like, I, I don't have the words. It's just like, I, I want out. I want out.
2: So all the white people that I know are kind, loving, understanding people. And I like people want to be allies. People want to not be racist. Um, I was just in Union Square and I was talking to uh, a white woman sitting in a group of like young, uh, young black people who were meditating in Union Square for peace. Um, You know, and she had a lot of questions about what she could do to make things better. And my answer to that always is um, listen and then listen some more and then hire black people Put people of color into your organization, whatever it is. Always be aware of how many Black people are in a room. Um, I work in a hotel doing corporate audiovisual. Mm-hmm. And on a regular basis, I am the only Black person in a room full of 300 white people who are all like accountants or in marketing and I always feel like people don't understand that you feel like trash in those moments. You yeah. you feel you feel like someone is gonna see the dirt under my fingernails. Someone is gonna see that my hair is not perfectly quaffed. Everyone is gonna see that. Like, do I smell? You know, like I'm always. I always feel gross. And I wanted to know if you experienced that, and if so, how.
1: Um, I, I think that I have like a very—I have to be very aware of my privilege and and where I exist. Um, I have a very different social economic standing than like my parents and literally the rest of my family. I'm one generation removed from the hood and two removed from the projects. So like how my mother did it and the kind of, I don't know. So I'm very aware of that. Um, And I I understand where I exist as a light-skinned black woman. And for a long time, um, I wasn't wearing my hair how it is now. Like, I wear it in a fro. And at some point, like, I came to a a decision that it was like, I'm just here to disrupt white spaces. I'm not, like, I'm not going to exist where it's like, Oh my god! Like, Brianna's the cool black girl. Like, she's not like the other black girls, and it's like y'all got me fucked up because I am, but I don't sound like it. I don't read, and I understand that I'm very, uh, what is it? Not unassuming, but like, what's the word, guys? Help me out. It's uh, I'm not.
2: Um, I always feel like I get a pass from white people because of the way I talk.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I'm very, I'm an approachable black, or at least they think. I don't know. I don't, I'm an approachable black. Um, yeah. You're
2: not, you're not scary. You're like Carlton from Fresh yeah, uh, yeah. Prince. Yeah. And so,
1: <laughs> I thought, well, and the whole point of me wearing my fro uh, was for that to be the marker. And for a long time, my mother was just like, well, you know, are you going to like straighten it for this job interview? Are you going to, and it's like, no, because when I get this job, I'm going to be wearing my hair like this because that's who I am. Like I'm not processing my hair. I'm just not. And so as much as I think I'm disrupting spaces, I know that it's just like, Oh, she's an approachable black. She's not like the others. Um, and it's like, I would let some of that stuff. Are you
2: one of the good ones? I know (laughs) I've been told that I'm one of the good ones more than once.
1: You tell me I'm one of the good ones. Now I'll likely poke you in your eye. Um, that I haven't heard I don't I don't it's it's in the I haven't had it that blatantly, but it's it's in the I don't know. It's just I know I've been maneuvering through all white spaces since I was nine. And like I know intimately how white children play and then like growing up with them along in school and then being in college and now in the work field. So it's like I I know the language so I can always tell when people lean toward me for whatever reasons, either way. I just, your original question was like, how do you deal with.
2: Right. The combination of like the sort of the racism of the workplace and then the racism of the world and getting shot. I don't think that people necessarily understand, you know, I don't, I don't think some white people understand the connection between the two.
0: Yeah. And also I feel like this can be tied into, uh, you know, the, the confluence of COVID and the murder of George Floyd, how those things together and how they disproportionately affected the black community created this great outpouring into the streets of every major city in America. Um, I think is something that everyone is is still continuing to parse in all the many spaces for dialogue that this historic moment has created. And so we're dealing with these things. And it's not, you know, I feel like a lot of activists have been like, look around, this is not a Black issue. It's not a Black movement. All of the marches all over the country have been mixed. And so what is it like? To be negotiating these complicated feelings in an activist space that is totally racially mixed?
1: I don't see, and that's something that I kind of have a problem with because, like, I don't, I don't, I'm very, I'm very grateful in the sense that, like, (laughs) this is not just a black burden. Um, Any advancement that black people have made in this country is is not without like some good well-intentioned white people um but like i don't i can't the the idea of it not being a black issue um and that being the center focal point of like where we are now is a problem for me um because i mean great people of color have been coming out non-black people of color have been coming and like Really doing the work. There are so many conversations with the Asian community as far as like their anti blackness. And like, those are beautiful conversations to watch on Twitter. um, Because people are unpacking generational, like, and checking their parents and really unpacking and checking generational racism and like having to step outside of that. Um, And the same with uh, non black Latinos, even though that's another kind of different conversation because uh, it's a different experience. But like, I just, it's absolutely a mixed issue and it's great that like a nice portion, because it's not just black people out in the streets, but it's absolutely a black issue because like police brutality, police policing in this country is a direct connection from slavery. Like police have no other purpose in well, had no other purpose in America other than to keep the enslaved in check. And that institution alone is inherently racist. So, like, yeah, we can talk about... You can see a video of a police brutality of, like, cops just pushing non-Black people. It's like, so, yeah, so they're rude to everybody. But Black people are being murdered, and they're all going free. I cannot think of an instance where... A cop has like been charged and convicted in like serving time. Maybe they they got fired. Maybe they don't work there anymore. But like they go on and get to have lives.
2: The feelings that I have at my job, being the only black person in a room of like three hundred people,
1: mm-hmm.
2: that sense of insecurity is the same feeling that I get whenever I've encountered the police.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I I don't. I think that there are a lot of white people in America who don't understand that when a black person gets stopped by the police, they are scared for their lives. They, from the moment that that, you know, that, that cop comes up to you, like one of your first thoughts is, oh God, I hope that I don't get beaten to death tonight. Yeah. Um, and can you can you speak to that? Can you speak to that as as a black woman watching your brothers be dealt this shitty card
1: and and my sisters? Um, because yeah, um, sorry, sorry, no, no, no. But I, because this this is the conversation that needs to be had, and like people need to understand that because even in these moments, um, the focal point of all the images. And even within the black community, we do it as far as like the black man has a target on his back and our brothers and these of our sons and our fathers and our uncles and our nephews. Like it's very masculine base. And, you know, black women are encountering the police at the same rates, except, you know, our experiences and the the news coverage of our murders are just not it's not there because nobody cares about black women. That's just, that's just the truth of it. Um, But what you're speaking about as far as that overwhelming gaze, um, whether it's in the workplace or when you encounter the police, it speaks directly to what I was saying, as far as this country's history with police being um, this inherent racist institution of checking enslaved blacks is that is generational a generational psychological thing that is not unlearned um i don't even know if that if i said that correctly if that makes sense but it's slaves existing or africans being enslaved in this country and like every step that you took had to be policed whether it was you going from this part of the plantation to this part of town like where are your freedom papers where are you supposed, are you where you're supposed to be Black person? Like, you're, like, are you, where are you supposed to be? And constantly being checked in that regard, so, and nothing has changed as far as, like, you know, slavery being over and we're in whatever era this is, how police have treated Black people since the ending of slavery has not changed. We're constantly in check of, are you where you're supposed to be? Are you doing the right thing under the the assumption that like we're up to something um right. and that narrative is has trickled down for generations. So like what you're feeling is not something that is in your mind. We all feel it because that is our experience because it's literally always happening people see the police and it's just like, Oh, time to go. Like, don't need to be in this space. And it's just like that psychological fear of seeing them. Whereas other people are just like, Oh, they're the police. They're doing their job. No, that we, in all of our neighborhoods and all of our, the spaces that we've been in with them, they show up to corral us or to make sure we're doing, not doing something bad, even when it's, we're having fun. It's just like this inherent, like, Oh no, like, Don't want to get in trouble. Like, here they are. They're they're checking. And that is uh, very real. And so (laughs) doing that in the workplace, it exists because we're constantly under surveillance to make sure that we are doing the right thing. And it's, no matter how many, like, white friends people may have, it's just like, well, even if these people are cool, they still have parents. We are strangers that you just don't know. Who's good until you don't anymore? If that makes any sense.
2: Um. So, <clears throat> you know, I have my own answer for this question, but I'm more interested in your answer. <laughs>
0: um.
2: You know, we both have uh, friends, and I believe family who are white uh, people that we love, people that we care for, and would give our lives for. Um. And it be you don't want to make any blanket statements about everyone, but what is it? What is it that white people, for this lack of a better word, don't get?
1: Um, I think even in that where it's like you don't want to make blanket statements, and it's just like for fear of like not alarming or hurting white people's feelings, and it's like it's well past like your feelings when realistically this is what's happening. Um I don't, no matter what, every white person benefits from systemic racism, no matter how nice they are, no matter how, you know, well-intentioned and well-meaning they are, there is power in being white in this country. And it, it just is that period. There's no, you can't relinquish anything. You might have different identities where it's like you're a queer white person, but even in the queer community, you still have power over Blacks that are in that community. And it's, it's less of the responsibility of Black people to ease or coddle those feelings for white people. Um, because in all actuality, like, we're more fearful of what white people can do or what they're capable of and how- their feelings, what what their feelings can result to than, like, anything else. Prime example, Amy Cooper felt away in, uh, was that, uh, Grand Central Park. She was mildly inconvenienced because a black man reminded her of the rules and she weaponized her feelings as far as being, how dare he, like, I, first of all, why are you even speaking to me? But also like, who are you to check me? Because white people are used to policing everyone else and making sure that everyone else is following the rules so that when that is flipped back on them, they aren't familiar with that because they get to roam freely. And that's, literally all it is so when you are now put in those positions where you have to be accountable and you can't handle it you get the kind of reaction that she gave and again she weaponized that fear of like this black man this bird watching ass black man in central park and her response was and knowingly no like knowing and that's the other part white people are very aware of what's going on in this country she knew that by saying, I'm being threatened by a Black man, that was going to ring the alarm that, like, she is in danger. Black people are being Black. We need to go save her. And, yeah, so that's, I mean, it's it's really less about easing those feelings and and trying to like let white people know that we know that some of them are good when it's just like no you all benefit from this system and you need to be (laughs) proving to us that you are in fact good because we're the ones that are in, in danger
2: um so i have found that in my adult life um i've encountered a lot of racism that is like so ingrained In the culture of my job specifically, because I work in an all male, uh, you know, work environment. And I think there's a lot of people who think that racism is over, but they don't realize, you know, the, you know, I've walked into rooms and people were using the N word. People who are supposed to be my friends.
1: Oh man, been there.
2: Um, and <clears throat> i feel like the protests the best part of the protests are aggressive in relation to that feeling of insecurity that you get when you walk into a room and you hear somebody dropping the n word casually um could you could you explain if you can <sighs> Can you explain, if you can, why we feel so aggressive about our freedom when sometimes white people are scared of our passionate need to have freedom and to be heard? Can you talk about how that makes you feel that when you're being Black and proud and smart, White people sometimes they 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 think that you're some kind of a monster because you have a point of view on race and you're not okay with it. Um, you're not okay with racism.
1: I is yeah that, yeah is that, I, is that too big? I, yeah, it's because it's just like what like I think for a lot of because you know, it's just like. <laughs> I don't care what white people think. (laughs) I just don't, don't care like about their feelings of just like, because knowing history and knowing the reality, um, it's just, you, there's nothing historically that has proven uh, like why they are so fearful of black people. There's no, there's nothing that's just like, you can pinpoint to this exact moment that like, Oh, see, this is why we don't trust and this is why we're fearful. There has yet to be <laughs> that moment. I, at least I haven't. I can't think of anything in history from elementary school to college that was pointed out because last I recall, like my ancestors were minding their business in Africa. Like, <laughs> literally minding their merry Black business and like, <laughs> here they came. Here, Here came the Europeans. So, I don't I don't know if I'm understanding the question of just like.
2: I don't know. Um, I've been out there in the protest. I've been, you know, watching the news and it's presented as some kind of aggressive act to to demand your freedom and to demand to be treated like a like a human being.
1: Yes. About people that cross boundaries tend to be uncomfortable with boundaries. I don't, that they tend to like, not like to be told that they can't do whatever they want or they can't hurt you. But like them being uncomfortable with being told, no is not more uncomfortable than us dying. So I like, I think that like, like, white people have to have a serious conversation with themselves and amongst themselves of like what their problem is and what they're fearful of. Because at this point, I mean, now, now, now I can say at least like, you should be scared. This is, you pushed, (laughs) this is the result
0: of that pushing. People are tired. Well, uh, let me ask you this. We, we are all hoping That, you know, like this is a very tumultuous time and there's a lot of, you know, scary situations popping off right now. And I feel like those of us who are really invested in the bedrock struggle of what this is all about are hoping that it'll all be worth it somehow. That like the the bravery that we've had to muster to encounter what's um, been going on all over our cities, we're hoping that there's going to be real lasting reform in this country as a result, and it'll all be worth it. Um, Is there something that you can say to your hopes and your dreams and your aspirations for what the, the repercussions of all of the um, activism all over America and actually the world because there's so many people in solidarity for us. Like, what can we hope to achieve? What should what should we be aiming for when um eventually this all settles down for the um, long haul?
1: I think first black people are hoping and would like, myself included, that like we would finally at some point in this country's history be seen as people, like actual humans like uh, I mean historically black people were subhuman in the constitution we were three fifths human we weren't even the same species as white people Um, and like that kind of still carries on now as white people have way more compassion for animals than they do for black people and like that hurts because it's like I like animals too but like I I'm also of the same human species. So when people throw that human word around, it's like, you you don't even see me as an equal there. So like, let's not talk about human lives mattering. Um, but like, what I would like to see immediately within like, as a result of these actual, cause I mean, I know we can't do everything at once. Um, uh, first, I think Amy Cooper- Needs to be charged and convicted of whatever uh, false. I don't know what where that is in the the jurisdiction, but like she needs to be charged with like a false report or whatever. I know that she lost her job. False
0: reporting is a crime.
1: Yeah, so I think she needs to be charged and convicted of that to the like highest extent of
0: the law. Highest extent of the law.
1: Um, I know that she already lost her job and she lost her dog. Um, Shout out to the dog for being free because. She was choking the hell out of that dog. So, uh, first, that needs to happen. Um, All four police that were involved or present during George Floyd's uh, murder should be charged and convicted. Um, Also, that store manager that called the cops on him for this alleged fake 20, um, he needs to be charged with something, too, uh, because...
0: But there's also, I feel like there should be a reasonable expectation among the citizenry, regardless of your race, that if you feel that a crime might be in the process of being committed, you should know that you're not signing someone's death sentence by calling an authority to come and check it out. Like, I I feel like...
1: That that speaks to like...
0: We should feel like the I know personally, I would not call the police on a person of color unless I literally felt like someone's life was in danger, because I know that calling the police on a person of color means that you are endangering their life. Yeah. So I feel like there some reforms have to happen before it feels like we can use. Calling 911 the way that it was intended. But
1: that's too big because we're still, we're still, I mean, the whole point of the hashtag Black Lives Matter is trying to convince the masses that we are people too and that like we matter and you can't just kill us in the street. So, like, jumping straight to like uh, police reform in this country is just like, that's too, we just need you guys to one recognize that we're people. Let's start there since that seems to be the the problem that like, Oh,
0: but literally if chokeholds were made illegal in every police department in America tomorrow, I think it would go a long way. But then see, but that's, that
1: again goes back to police reform as far as like what, what they are. Cause then I've seen someone and I don't have the tweet or who said it, but it was like, you know, you need to have this amount of experience on the force before you have a gun. You need to have um, this second or third year of this type. Like, there definitely does need to be training in that regard, but, like, there first needs to be an example, which is why I was saying that, first, Amy Cooper needs to be charged and convicted. All four of those cops during George Floyd's uh, murder need to be charged and convicted. Um, the cops involved in Breonna Taylor's uh killing they need to be charged and convicted those three and whoever i don't think they were police but like the vigilantes that killed and just murdered ahmaud arbery they need to be charged and convicted and like this has all happened within the span of february march yeah Amari arbery Amad arbery was killed in february You're four months That was in February. Breonna Taylor was killed in March. Um, Her cops are still haven't been charged or anything. Um, And uh, George Floyd was killed on the 25th of May. And so that is... And, you know, this... uh, Amy Cooper happened, like, maybe a week, the week of the 25th or, like, a little bit before. Like, it all happened very quick. This has been a crazy week um, of how quickly people moved. But, like, there needs to be an example first that like you cannot do this. This was wrong. There needs to be accountability. There needs to be accountability. Darren Wilson, the officer that killed Mike Brown, um, I believe that once he wasn't charged or wasn't convicted or if he was and was found not guilty, um, afterwards they interviewed him and they asked him what he was going to do after he left the force. And that was He was going to be a teacher or he was considering it and it's like you don't get to kill a teenager an unarmed teenager and then get to go into the classrooms and teach the children of america that that shouldn't even be a thing um and i think people react with oh no like these people's lives are being ruined and there are people whose lives were ended and ruined and like their families have to now then pick up the pieces so one or two people never getting to work, a job again, if that needs to be the example and charge, then like that needs to be it. Um, but then we can have conversations about defunding the police and abolishing police and just starting over. Um, but like immediately for this particular moment, for these protests, those four things need to happen. Because uh, we need to see that like people are serious about because until then we're still not human we're still not people and our lives and our suffering is not something that is people are empathizing with so like before we can get to no chokeholds or no uh, ups- cuz i mean like being honest people know you don't fucking put your knee on someone's neck for damn near 9 minutes you don't need training to that shouldn't that you don't need training for that I, you, you, there's just no explanation as to why that's a tactic. I'm sure there are other countries that don't even, their police force don't even have guns. And it's just like, that's, that's a thing. You could do that. You can police without having a gun. So before we get that far, what I know that I would like to see, and I'm sure a lot of people have like the immediate response all four of these things need to happen. Not one, not two, not three, not four, all four. And I, I hate that the example that's being made is I'm sure everyone had saw like that. I don't know if it was CNN, but it was that um, news feed of the two black college students that were in Georgia, in Georgia that like in front of them is a car of a white girl that's waving at the the news camera and then all of a sudden the squad comes running up and like bussing out the the glass in this their car of these two black college students and they weren't even outside, they're in their car and they're trying to get wherever they were trying to go and you know, the girl was snatched out of the car, car. she's screaming, they stab the tire and immediately like because they were trying to just leave and they didn't want to be, like they were not even protesting or they weren't outside. Um, The boyfriend was tased. It was a lot. And earlier today, um, those six officers were charged. Um, And (laughs) from the first reports, they put out two mugshots and two of them were black officers. Um, And then the full mugshots of everyone came out and five of them were black cops and one of them was white. And it's very convenient and very telling that like, this is the example we're going to make these black cops. And it's, it's really telling that it's just like, you you, you are all rushing to, you know, find accountability and charging these six black officers. And they are a five rather, they are completely wrong. But like uh, Breonna Taylor has her officers haven't even been named. We haven't even been able to, I mean, their bag, badge numbers were covered or something like that. I could be wrong. That could be false information. But Brianna Taylor was killed in March. It's June. So it's it's very telling that the, the, these five out of six officers that were black were, we were quick to like put all their information out and make an example of them, um, in this. And that's, I will not be pacified. That's not enough. We can do more than one thing at once in this country. So lock them all up. If we're, we're going to do all that, because at least bare minimum, as traumatized as those black college students are, they're alive and they get to go home.
2: Um, so I just have one more question for you. Sure. Um, I don't know if Emily has any others. I don't really think that there's too much hope in this situation i feel like the racism that happens in the police and in our culture is so ingrained Mm -hmm. that it's really never going to be able to it's never going to be exercised Mm -hmm. in in some kind of magical way i think that sometimes people want to have a grand gesture that will somehow take away all racism and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not happy to say it, but I don't think that it's going to go away anytime soon um, because it is part of American culture mm-hmm. culture and cop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see any hope? Do you see do you think that there is something that the police and people of color can do to resolve the beef
1: Um, well, no, uh, not for the police. Fuck them. Fuck the police. Fuck 12. Um, I don't have any hope for them. Um, but it's, it's really, it's really heartbreaking to hear hear from you that you don't have hope. And I'm not going to lie. Shit is bleak. Like I, this sucks. This hurts. But, but I have to have hope because otherwise, what the fuck are we doing here? What, like... I I have to have hope. I have to find some kind of joy for the future because, like, I just have to. Because it's just, there are some beauties of life that are, like, totally, that make it all worth it, even with all this shit going on and having to exist as a Black person in this country. But... You just have to. You have to have hope because otherwise, again, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, we're just just barely getting by. Um, But as far as the rest of us, because again, fuck twelve and fuck the police. um, What we can do, um, I I have to admit, like I'm never one to to give up so much credit for white people of like being decent. Um, But there have been a lot of images of white men in particular and huh man uh, this is kind of killing me to do this (laughs) and giving them their props but there have been many white male teens uh like stepping and I mean of course through the direction of black organizers and protesters and like really stepping up and placing their bodies as barricades in front of black people and I mean, historically, we know that to be true as far as with the Freedom Riders, and there there have definitely been brave white people that have like paid the ultimate price of... and But back then, it was just too few. It was just too few in between for that to like make a difference. And you can see the fear in these videos of... I mean, you see the fear of the Black people first, of stepping out past the protest line and stepping forward with these officers in their riot gear and then you see like the hesitation but like the you like to see that moment where it hits for a white person that like I literally don't have a choice I have to do this and like stepping in front of black people that that's enough that should be enough to have hope because that means that like there are there are redeeming qualities in white people. There are some redeemable white people and maybe they can tell their friends and they can tell their, their cousins and their family members. They like there, there is hope there. Um, but like moving forward, it has to be more of that. It has to absolutely be more of that. Um, I see them doing the work, um, I mean, and like they should, because I have to be very clear. Like that is old. <laughs> that is absolutely old to black people, and I don't think that uh, black people should be um, shy about saying that. Because again, we should not be here to ease the feelings of white people. Like it, that does not help us pacifying and holding white people's hands and patting them on the back every time they like do something that like. They should be doing to be decent. Um, and that kind of also applies to other people, non-black people of color, um, because they have benefited from black protests and 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 this is on an international stance, like c- freedom in this country is wholeheartedly contingent on how far black people go because once we are allowed, and accepted in these spaces, it's easier for everyone else to get along. So, like that being the priority, it's fine. Like that—that's the hope, and that's fine with me. Because it, I, this is at least a step forward. I, I would be just—I'm generally a black pessimist, but like that, I have to give that that up um, to those those that are out there protesting and i'm I'm really happy and proud of like my generation cause for the longest, they've been dragging millennials and gen Z, but like we out here, we showed the fuck up <laughs> we doing it, <laughs> and i like i that really matters because there there has been a sense of complacency within. The black general like the black community and i don't know what generation where it's just like oh we got rights we cool we are straight we working we you know we're allowed to live and own things and and whatever but again my generation has and gen z give it up to them too because they're all over the place but they have been showing the fuck up too and you know um yeah
2: that's a great answer it's so much better than my answer and i I know my answer is terrible. You're like you and Gen Z and the millennials deserve so much for stepping up. and I've seen them on the streets. and uh, yeah. you know you can you can tell your people out there that I, I will rock, tell
1: them I will send a text
2: Logan, message. Logan is approving of them. use BCC
0: <laughs>
1: absolutely,
0: yeah. Brianna and Logan, I want to thank you guys so much for your bravery and your candor really speaking the truth on our hot mics tonight. If you're feeling moved to donate to worthy causes during this important moment in our nation's history as we struggle for true civil rights for all Americans, we suggest checking out the Equal Justice Initiative. They're at EJI.org. Black Lives Matter is at BlackLivesMatter.com. The Movement for Black Lives is at M4BL.org, the the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, which is at NAACPLDF.org. The Minnesota Freedom Fund is at MinnesotaFreedomFund.org. And reclaim the block. That's at reclaim the And uh the Black Visions Collective is at BlackVisionsmn.org. Uh thanks so much to our guests, Brianna and Logan, for having this important conversation. I'm really glad that we're able to create this platform and use it to get the word out about such an important issue. Um, Thank you also to Logan for producing this episode and to our girl gang at bust magazine. And thank you of course, for listening until next time. mwah.